Good morning and welcome to the Saturday morning show here on WGN Radio Chicago. Orion Samuelson with you as I have been for quite a few years and beginning really my last month of broadcasting agricultural consumer information because on the last day of December I'll sign off for the final time. But we have a good deal to talk about before that happens, so we'll spend the next month doing just that here on WGN Radio, which has been my broadcast home for the past 60 years. And the changes we have seen, well, you know what I start with on Saturday morning, the COVID-19 report, and this is what we are reporting from Friday the coronavirus deaths rise by at least 1,423 on Friday to 264,813 for a total death count from the coronavirus situation. And uh, the cases rise by at least 208,000 on Friday to uh, 13,080,000 total. That's the latest report from the medical people on coronavirus. And I thought I might start with the story that uh, came across my uh, computer from the folks at Reuter, who uh, provides us with a great deal of information. But this story pretty well summed up probably the Thanksgiving Day and uh, the holiday season as we approach it. Dateline, New York, and this is the story. Pandemic-weary Americans entered the holiday season Friday under strong pressure from political leaders and health officials to stay home, avoid most gatherings, and curtail Christmas shopping as the coronavirus surged nationwide. One day after the nation celebrated a quiet Thanksgiving, malls and retailers imposing strict COVID-19 rules saw fewer Americans in stores for the traditional Black Friday start of the holiday shopping season. Kentucky Governor Andy Beshear, a first-time Democrat, on a Twitter said, Remember, skip the crowds and shop from home this Black Friday. That was a sentiment echoed by many state and local officials because COVID-19 infections and hospitalizations have spiraled in recent weeks, prompting increasingly aggressive clampdowns in many U.S. states as the country awaits government approval of vaccines developed by drug makers Pfizer Moderna, and other companies. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention will take a formal step early next week toward deciding who gets the first round of vaccine once it is approved with an advisory committee meeting and vote on the allocation of initial supplies of COVID-19 vaccine. That meeting will take place on Tuesday. Roughly 90,000 patients were being treated for COVID-19 in hospitals yesterday, a number that has doubled in the last month and rising infections and is the highest since the pandemic began. 
The U.S. Supreme Court late Wednesday struck down as unconstitutional an order by New York Governor Andrew Cuomo imposing severe limits on the number of people who could worship at churches and synagogues in the state. The ruling dismissed by Cuomo as irrelevant, saying it related to specific areas that were no longer considered at high risk but it could drive legal challenges against similar rules placed on houses of worship in other states. And so uh, one statement by the New Mexico governor, Michelle Lujan Grisham, said uh, this is the reality we face when COVID-19 is allowed to spread unchecked. ICUs at capacity, not enough health care workers available, And uh, Grisham, who was a Democrat, did not say who she believed had let the virus spread unchecked, but the governor has imposed a lockdown requiring all non-essential businesses to close and residents to stay home. So that's pretty much the story all across the nation, around the world on the COVID. COVID-19 situation. We're at uh, 14 minutes after 5 o'clock, and it's kind of a cool morning, 26 degrees on my thermometer here in Huntley, Illinois, and uh, we'll continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. Merry Christmas, WG. It's 16 minutes after 5 o'clock, 25 degrees here on the Saturday morning show. And while I'm so grateful for the uh, phone calls and the messages that people from across the country are sending my way on the uh, retirement announcement, I really appreciate it, but it's almost embarrassing to me to uh, listen to some of the words I'm hearing. And uh, they're coming from many people, including my longtime friend and partner here at WGN Radio, Max Armstrong, who joins us now with these thoughts. Well, Orion, I've heard you say it many times that if you had a brother, this guy would be your brother, as close as he's been to you, Paul Wallum, who uh, I guess we've introduced under a number of different titles, former International Harvester employee, former International Harvester dealer, and, uh, well, of late, an accomplished author as well. Paul, welcome in here. It's good to have you with us on the Saturday Morning Show. Well, thank you, and it's a privilege to be here, particularly at this about this. You go back farther with Orion than I do, and, and, and anybody else that I know who, who's alive. You met him in the early to mid-50s, as I understand it, in Wisconsin. What was your first impression when you met this young broadcaster who was on the air up in the Green Bay? Well, we're the same age, and back in the late 50s, I was placing ads for International Harvester for Wisconsin, and he was... WBAY-TV Green Bay director, farm director, and I started placing ads with him, and my gosh, the results were amazing. I think everybody in Wisconsin knew who he was, and he hadn't been there a great length of time. So that's when we first met, and then we both came to Illinois about the same time in in 60. He was with WGN and me with IH in Chicago. We used to meet for lunch at Eli's, and we just last week talked about missing that place in the loop. 
but he's been uh, the voice of agriculture for Midwest forever. And uh, after December 31st, I know there's going to be a lot of wives that are going to be able to roll over and go back to sleep. <laughs> what do you think of, uh, what was it, in, especially in those early days, when he wouldn't have had a lot of experience out on the speaking circuit, they were only hearing him on the air. Was it the power of the voice? Well, yes, without a doubt. Uh, you know, he's been <laughs> accused of being the voice of God many times. and uh, But he knows agriculture, and he was born and raised, as we both were, on dairy farms. And we both wanted to get off the dairy farms, but stay involved in agriculture. And that's why he was he became so quickly accepted by the farm world. And Orion's voice is so powerful, I've said many times, he didn't need a public address system in many of the appearances he made because he projected with such power. Our engineers would have to adjust the volume back and forth between the two of us, running my microphone hotter because Orion's voice was more powerful than mine. (laughs) True story. When you've seen him in action at various times, and you've seen him so many times, are there any that really jump out in your mind? Maybe he was interviewing a politician or an individual farmer, or maybe it was a Farm Progress show. Is there any particular event that comes to mind, Paul? Well, there's so many, but one of them does keep becoming mind. I started a second dealership in Plainfield, Wisconsin in 1979. He came up to uh, help me uh, announce it. It was a grand opening. And because he was coming, there was such an incredible crowd that we had nowhere near enough food. We ended up with 700 people. We thought we'd have 200, and it was because he was there and he was talking. I remember the Farm Progress Show exhibits uh, in the early days. First time I saw Orion working at the Farm Progress Show was out in Malta at the Wilritz, the year that the the show was there. It was in our backyard. Yeah, working in the Harvest Store, I think. No, Slurry Store. It was where uh, the uh, the broadcast was being held, if if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe that was another Farm Progress Show. But it was a reminder of the huge crowd and the huge following for Orion. Yeah, all he had to do was uh, he, uh, people hear that he was showing up, and they'd be there early. Same way with our with my Farm Progress show that I have had the Harvester uh, exhibit for in Peoria in 1963 when we announced the 706 and 806. Uh, that was for us a big deal, and he just oh, just draws a crowd wherever he shows up. One thing that you see too. Uh, so many people in the city have been drawn to Orion, and not just farmers. And that's one thing that I know, as we've visited on the air and talked about agriculture issues through the years, that farmers and ranchers have appreciated because they felt they had a voice in the cities through our broadcast. You've noticed that, haven't you, Paul? Oh, my, yes. Yeah, people in, in our communities, like in Belvedere, which small small town, 15,000, everybody knows him, Uh through the years, same way here in Rockford. You say the name and people say, yeah, yeah, we know who he is. We listen to him. There was a time back not too many years ago, and of course we had worked for International Harvester, and then, you know, the decisions were made at uh, somewhere at the corporate level and advertising agency people became involved, and we were actually doing ads for green paint. Do you remember that? I... Do not. No, I don't. I, <laughs> you, maybe you tried. Maybe you tried to block that out. I, I couldn't blame you if you wanted to try to block that out with your <laughs> with your red paint heritage. But the interesting thing about that is that you know if farmers didn't fight that. Uh, you know, you would think that there would have been great opposition to this, but the fact is, 
Even though that International Harvester wasn't involved and, and Case IH, I guess, wasn't there for a short period of time, and the folks at Deer stepped up to the plate and made it possible for us to continue to do what we did, farmers accepted that. And that's hard to imagine, I guess, today. Every color, every color, it didn't matter what color machine or anything else, he was agriculture to them, as you are now, Max. Well, we've been privileged to uh, be at this for a while. What else comes to mind, Paul, as you think back over this career and the opportunities you've had to draw on Oregon's knowledge, and he has, in turn, sought your counsel, I know, on many occasions and has valued it. Well, we have. We've exchanged ideas for over 50 years. We've discussed problems in agriculture, uh, and he's always had just a perception of agriculture beyond what you'd expect from the fact that he was not a producer. But uh, again, uh, he's been a student of agriculture. He's, it's been his whole life. And uh, from that, he's, he's learned enough. For, so most people know that he's a student of it and a professor of it. He stays so much in tune with current events. It is remarkable when you tell him about something going on. He says, oh, yeah, I know about that. Uh, in fact, I can tell you this, Max. And usually he tells me something I didn't know about. It. He stays right on top of it, doesn't he? He does. He certainly, certainly does. You have heard him several times, Paul, use this phrase. I mean, I, I remember back in the 50s, people were saying, well, when's Orion going to retire? And, of course, he would underscore the fact that it's not in his vocabulary. It's hard to imagine it happening now, isn't it? It really is. Back uh, several years ago when I sold my financial planning office to my son, Orion said, what are you doing that for? <laughs> I said, I think it's time. And he says, well, you're going to be bored to death. Nobody should retire. Well, he almost carried that up. To, <laughs> we're now 86 years old, and he's, uh, he's not ready to quit, but he's willing to. Both of you are so active and alive, it's hard to keep up with you. For, for those of us who have tried to do so through the years, it is uh, indeed a, a struggle. But... Uh, how much we've learned, uh, certainly from Orion. And, you know, just uh, when my desk was 10 feet away, as it was for so many years, certainly more than 20 years, you know, you would you would hear a conversation and it would give you an idea to follow up on something. It would give a, a, a seed of, of thought. And I think uh, I, I'd like to think that Orion borrowed a few ideas or phrases from me in conversations he had heard. And I, I, I sure stole good ones from him. There's no doubt about that. Oh, you've been you've been remarkable partners, and you know I've known you now for over forty years. But you you were the the perfect uh, partner for him, uh, and have been all through these years. Well, I've been so privileged, and I've learned so much, as I said. But the opportunity to meet Orion's friends has been just like yourself. It's just been remarkable. One thing I need to point out is you two together owned an airplane for a few years, did you not? Oh, yeah. Back in the early 70s, I was flying, and he had me, when uh, he stopped wanting to drive, he had me do some flying for him. And then at one point, I said, hey, I'm going to buy a six-passenger plane. Uh, Would you like to be involved in it? So we bought it together, which is Air Orion now. And all these years later, and I did sell it to him after I went out of the dealerships, 
all these 35 years later, that same airplane has been serving him, which is a story in itself. And serving Max, I might add. There have been many times. In fact, there have been a few years, I would say in the mid-2000s, maybe maybe even after 2010, that I have been in that plane almost as much as Orion going to events. So I thank you both. Well, it's been a wonderful airplane. It really has. It, uh, it's a part of our history. And again, one time back in the mid-'80s, we put together AGCON, which was short for Agricultural Conventions, and Orion and I and Stan Lancaster, who was retired from general manager of Harvester, uh, did a series of conventions for state farm equipment dealers, and had a great time. I always accused him of joining us so that I, because I would draw the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's great to talk to you, Paul. Take good care of yourself. We appreciate you and Joan so much and your friendship through the years, and we'll see you along the way, sir. Well, absolutely, and a wonderful closing comment from me. I have a phrase that I really have, have liked so long. There are treasures no end, but the best is a friend. And that's what Orion means to me. Absolutely. Thank you, Paul. Orion, there you go. There's your brother, as you explained to me hundreds of times through the years, Mr. Paul Wallum. Born uh, within a few days of each other. We didn't know the families, of course, at that time. Uh, We weren't friends, didn't know Paul, but uh, that started it all, plus the fact that we are both of the Norwegian heritage, and we have sort of uh, preserved that as well as we get together to bake Lefsa with uh, one of my pilots, uh, Jerry Lagerlof, and my other pilot, uh, Phil Wolf. And so, uh, yeah, made good use of that airplane and still are using it. Uh, Air Orion will uh, be around for a long time, I think. So anyway, as I said at the outset embarrassing but gratifying to uh, listen to that conversation and remember so many things and i guess thanks to the folks at wgn and uh, our listeners i'll be hearing several more before december 31st when i say farewell at least for this time WGN Radio Chicago, that's been my home for 60 years, and it's been thoroughly enjoyable, and the company continues to do great things that I'm not sure I deserve, but I'm grateful. So thank you for joining us here on the Saturday Morning Show on WGN Radio Chicago. We're at 25 minutes before 6 o'clock, and we say welcome to Samuelson Says. I'm Orion, and during this period of giving thanks, going to uh, say thank you to some other farm groups when we continue. During this season of giving thanks, I would like to say thank you to a special group of people. They are the farmers, the ranchers the food producers all across the nation who provide us with great meals such as this year's Thanksgiving Day dinner. The American Farm Bureau Federation said the cost of a dinner for 10 people on Thanksgiving this year was $46.90. That's the total, and that's less than $5 per person. Another group that I want to say a special word about is the National Pork Producers Council. 
Thanksgiving Day this year, the council launched a national campaign encouraging hog farmers and others in the industry to donate pork to organizations serving the food insecure and to challenge them to follow in the footsteps of pork producers. The Give a Ham Challenge runs through the end of the year. Pork Producers President Howard A.V. Roth, who was a hog farmer from Wazika, Wisconsin, said, and I quote, With so many Americans struggling with COVID-related financial challenges, this year's Give a Ham Challenge takes on special meaning. Giving back to our communities is a core value of hog farmers nationwide. It's gratifying to come together as an industry this time of year to serve those who are in need. Those were the words of the pork producers president, and let's all support that campaign. Because throughout the pandemic, U.S. hog farmers and numerous state associations representing them have donated to local food banks, providing a collective 15.7 million pounds of pork through October 31st. And again, quoting Mr. Roth, I'm proud to be part of an industry that has already made significant contributions this year to help those less fortunate and look forward to participating in the Give a Ham Challenge, paying it forward with pork. Thank you to the pork, well, thank you to all producers of food for doing what you do. That's Samuelson Says, a presentation of Nextar Media Group. We're at uh, 21 minutes before 6 o'clock here on the Saturday Morning Show. And as we continue to cover agriculture, we continue to see change in the time that I've been on the air doing it. For example, one of the unusual stories this week dealt with the fact that a port in in southern Brazil gets the first import cargo in 10 years. The story, a vessel carrying 30,500 tons of soybeans produced in the United States is due to arrive on Friday, yesterday, according to the Paranagua Port Authority. This year, Brazil sold huge soybean volumes to top importer China, leaving little for domestic consumption, and the situation led to a rise in livestock feed prices, and it also fueled domestic food inflation. The authority said the discoverer will bring in the first imported soy cargo via the Paranagua port in at least 10 years. The vessel expected to dock between December 7 and December 15 and will be inspected before unloading at the rate of 6,000 tons per day. The Discoverer, that's the name of the vessel, chartered by Lewis Dreyfus Company, and uh, its arrival marks a change in paradigm for Brazil, which is now one of the world's biggest food exporters. 
Though a tiny amount by global trading standards, the 30,500 tons of soybeans represent the most U.S. soy that Brazil has purchased since 1997. The one constant is change, and boy, I can remember when suddenly Brazil became the leading soybean producer in the world, and now now that has changed, and to the point where Brazil importing U.S. soybeans to meet some needs that they have. And it has an impact on markets, and we'll find that out when we join Mike Pearson and his guest to look at the agricultural market story here on the Saturday Morning Show. Volatility in the commodity markets continues. To help us make sense of what has happened and what might be coming in the future, we're joined this weekend by Dr. Matt Roberts of the Kern Mantle Group. Dr. Roberts, thanks for chatting with us. Why, thanks for having me on, Mike. Well, you bet. Now, I want to talk about the grain markets right off the bat. And, of course, we've got supply on our mind as the harvest season is coming to an end. But demand is a huge component of what makes the prices that farmers take home. And ethanol has been a huge component of corn pricing for some time. Matt, will it regain its prominence as uh, we get into 2021? The main thing that's really hurt ethanol over the past 12 months, the kind of the short term, of course, is COVID. It's the collapse in driving. It's everybody doing these interviews. Whereas we know 12, 18 months ago, I'd hopefully be sitting beside you in the studio because I'll jump in my car, make the five hour drive up to Chicago, have steak and yap. Now we do it all on Zoom. And that's not just this. This is everything. What I would expect is as we move into uh, the second quarter, probably, of 2021, we expect to start seeing a lot of things loosen up. We know that we now have three vaccines that are out that are effective. Uh, We would expect to start seeing those filtering out. And we, I believe, we'll start to see a lot of things return to something more normal. Uh, By fourth quarter 2021, I think driving demand, mileage demand goes back so that ethanol can get back to a more normal area. Now, uh, one of the problems is over time, we've seen compression in that ethanol demand uh, as cars become more effective uh, or better mileage as yields go up. Uh, So ethanol hasn't given us the big boost in prices, but it's at least held it. So I think, yeah, through 2021, that piece of the demand puzzle looks a lot better. Now, the other major component of the demand puzzle here in 2020 has been Chinese demand. Matt, as you look at our best guess of what is happening in China, how much was their corn crop hurt this past year? What have you heard? Clearly, it was hurt. I mean, let's be honest. It doesn't matter what really any of us have heard. Unless you actually have the ability to travel over thousands of miles in China, it's all guesswork. And we're going to infer it by how they act. It's clear it was a bad year. It's clear that they're shorter of feed grains uh, than they have been because we haven't seen the ramp in animal numbers compared to three years ago, compared to pre-ASF, that would lead us to, to believe that 
that they need to really ramp up their feed grain imports. Um, remember, China tip is is pork focused uh, a little less in poultry space. That's why it's so meal focused and not feed grain. It's those higher protein, higher conversion ratio animals. Uh, so we've seen a lot of damage. I think, as you know, the and that's why for everything we've seen on the feed grain side, everything we've seen on those corn uh, on that corn side, it's the bigger pieces on the meal on the meal side or on the protein side, the the vegetable protein. I don't think this is the start of this long-awaited China import wave of corn that we've been talking about for 20 years. I think this is a short crop, temporary situation. You talked about how Chinese demand for corn might just be a bump, but this demand for protein, and in particular meal and beans, might be long-lived. Where does China go from here? We are at the point where we're going to get back to that long-term trend of ever higher imports from China, getting past that ASF. Go back to 2000, uh, really from 2000 to 2016, and you look at their imports, and it's just, it's it's just ever rising every year, higher and higher and higher. And I think now we've turned the corner, or China's turned the corner on ASF, and they're ready to pull those back in, where we're talking about an extra 25, 50,000 acres a year, 100,000 100, acres even of additional demand. The question becomes in any given year, how much of that's South American fed? How much of it is North American fed? But at least the overall demand pie gets back to growth. Well, now let's talk a little bit about that distinction between North American supplies and South American supplies. The big thing that I'm hearing from a lot of folks right now is the drop in the value of the U.S. dollar. Matt, is that something you see continuing into 2021, keeping us competitive? I think actually it probably is going to stabilize, maybe even go higher. Now, it's a little hard to see right now. The hard thing about currencies is it's always relative. You can't just look at the dollar alone. You've got to look at what's happening in the American economy versus other economies. Uh, We've already seen just over the past four weeks an increase of about 30 basis points in our longer term interest rates. Why? Because they believe that with the Biden administration, uh, with some vaccines out there, we can return to growth. And that means returning to higher interest rates, more debt. And that's going to pull more money into the United States, into the U.S. dollar to hold that debt. I mean, crazy thing. Uh, last week, China issued uh, billions of dollars. I, I forget off the top of my head, $30, $40 billion of five-year debt at negative interest rates. And so America returning to growth means higher interest rates here, means more money coming in. And when I say higher interest rates, don't worry. This isn't your operating line. This isn't your landlines. Uh, we're talking a quarter, half a percent on those longer-term rates. That's going to drive flows. So I don't think we're going to benefit as much from the weaker dollar as we maybe have. I think our big advantage starts to return to the fact we are a reliable supplier. We're a reliable partner in trade who can get the beans where they need to be. All right. All things to keep an eye on. Dr. Matt Roberts of the Kern Mantle Group, we always appreciate your insight here on this program. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me. 
We have warmed up a couple of degrees since we started the Saturday morning show on my thermometer here in Huntley, Illinois. I'm showing 27 degrees Fahrenheit, and that's the weather. And uh, looking ahead to next week, I understand we're going to find a snowflake or two. So uh, that's the one thing that does change every day, every month, every year. But uh, there have been a lot of changes take place during the 60 years that I've been covering agriculture. Some of it uh, has been with us for a long time, and some of it is new. But one of the things that we always are concerned about is the outbreak of disease in livestock. And that's why, at the moment, we're concerned about bird flu and its reappearance. Now Belgium has confirmed an outbreak of the H5N5 bird flu on a poultry farm in the western part of the country. And the uh, outbreak of bird flu killed 600 birds, and that led to the destruction of the other 151,000 birds in the flock because the... uh, only way to stop many of these diseases is to simply cull and euthanize the hogs or the chickens or whatever the animal is. But uh, we're certainly concerned about that. And you've heard me say many times, as uh, the increase in travel takes place and you travel outside the United States, please, when the flight attendant gives you the card to fill out before you land at O'Hare or Midway, Please answer those questions honestly so that we know where you've been. We know what diseases have uh, plagued that country. And, of course, we've gone through the African swine fever that wiped out nearly half of the pig crop in China, which is the world's largest producer and the largest consumer of pork. And we have seen what happens when an outbreak occurs. And back in the 90s, remember the uh, uh, bird, not the bird flu, because we had that a little bit later, but the foot and mouth disease. And the outbreak in England, particularly, I traveled to the United Kingdom during that time and uh, saw the many animals, the beef animals, and the carcasses that were really destroyed because of the disease that we didn't want to get into this country. I don't think we've had a major foot and mouth disease outbreak in the United States since around 1929 or 1930, and we want to keep it that way because, again, the way to control it and the way to control the spread is to euthanize the animals who have contacted the disease. So that's one of the many changes that I've watched because I would say outside of the technology, the biggest change I have seen in agriculture on the planet is the uh, spread of diseases of that type that can impact countries and economies and everything else dealing with food production which is what 
it's all about. So uh, we're keeping an eye on the bird flu outbreak. And interestingly enough, most of the outbreak is coming from wild birds that land maybe to enjoy some of the feed in the uh, poultry feedlots. And so the wild birds bring the uh, bird flu in. And before you know it, you've got that problem where you have to start eliminating the birds that are infected. And so that uh, that change has not occurred. It's still very uh, concerning to anybody involved in the livestock meat production, whether it be birds, pigs, steers, you name it. That's one thing that we have never been able to completely eliminate. So that's why I say if you're coming back on the plane and you get that card, if you've been on a farm, be sure to say so. And uh, on a couple of farm groups that I've taken, I got very upset with some of the participants who uh, didn't want to wait getting through customs and didn't want to have their shoes washed. And so they... uh, were dishonest in what they said on that card. Please follow the rules so that we don't have to be concerned about spreading the disease because that is a concern. do want to mention, too, before we leave you, as we shut down for a long holiday weekend and uh, the Thanksgiving Day holiday, Live cattle futures fell on Friday on profit-taking during the shortened holiday trading day, while less-than-stellar beef exports added pressure to livestock futures overall. Live cattle futures for February at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange fell for the first time Friday in the uh, in the past five trading sessions, and uh, feeder cattle ended down also on Friday. Beef exports of 2,000 tons to China and 1,800 tons to Japan, more than offset by cancellations from Korea, Mexico, Hong Kong, and others to a net weekly sales of 15,500 tons of beef. And the weekly processing rates also fell here in this country, 564,000 head of cattle, and that's down the 665,000 the week prior, in part due to the Thanksgiving holiday. Lean hog futures also closed lower on Friday, and uh, the... uh, uh, benchmark February contract settling down 42 cents a hundredweight to $67.25. And the grain market, we've been looking at some bad weather in South America where they do produce the soybeans and uh, the other crops that compete with U.S. crops in the world market. So anyway, hope you had a good Thanksgiving Day holiday, and uh, we'll look forward to being with you throughout uh, next week when the one thing that is constant in the market in agriculture change. Have a great day.